This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Tell me a story, you said. You texted I just, it's me both today. a story and a question. So, okay, I'm walking to the grocery store. I'm out walking around. Because you you know me. I like to walk. That's the thing I like to do in cities. You like walking around. That's that's Andrew. Andrew walking that's, around that's Cunningham. Me. I like walking around. So, I'm walking, right? You could picture it in your head. I'm walking. I'm, hey, I'm walking here. And I walk past a, some guy and... His girlfriend, his wife, like some female companion. Mm-hmm. And he, and I've got my headphones in, and mm-hmm. he's like, you know, he's trying to speak with me. So I take one of my earbuds out. And he's like, hey, let me ask you a question. If you were a millionaire, would you still be out walking around the streets, or would that be too bougie for you? <laughs> and I said, I think I'd probably still walk around and he turns to his woman companion and says, ha, see, I told you. <laughs> and then I left and went on my way. Welcome to Overdue, a podcast <laughs> about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. So my question for you is if you had, if you were a millionaire, would you still walk around the streets or would that be too bougie and would you... <laughs> Like have a limo service, or would you just Uber everywhere? Don't elaborate or... on his amazing question, which okay. ends with, or is that would that be too bougie for you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I would probably still walk around. I would probably just walk slower because I wouldn't have to be places as fast. Because mm-hmm. if I'm a millionaire, I'm imagining that I'm worth several million dollars, not just like I have a million, which means I probably bought a house that's too big for my family and I'll lose all my money. Just ha- but, just having $1 million, you'd be, I think you'd be really, it'd be uncomfortable to straddle that millionaire line, right? Like maybe you go and you get a Chipotle burrito and it's like, whoops, that's too much. Now I'm not a millionaire anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I would still, wa- what fight were they having? <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I don't have a lot of context, which is part of the joy of the question. Oh, I'm just gonna... I may have said it wrong. Whatever. No, I you think, said it exactly right. <laughs> okay. I think I said the bougie, bougie thing backwards. <laughs> bougie is the not walking around option. Oh. Well. That's fine. Does that change anything, though? <laughs> no, I mean, you understood the in- thrust of the question Yeah, as I asked it, and I don't want to like go back and record it again, so we're just going to leave We're just going to move on. We're going to move on to this week's book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, by Douglas Adams. I don't know if I would hitchhike. I wouldn't hitchhike everywhere if I had a million dollars. That would be, that would be bougie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book was recommended to us by one of our supporters, Karina. Thanks, Karina, uh, who I think she said her son listens to us as well. So it's a family affair over there listening to our podcast. And this week, as I said, it's the Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> <laughs> 
of the Galaxy <laughs> by Douglas Adams. That one's got. I'm still thinking about that question. Uh, the show got away from me for a second. Uh, each week, it's because it of seems us, right because it seems like a pretty simple question. It does. Then, it keeps, then it keeps eating at you. Like, would I? Maybe I'll have an how answer. much would how much would being a millionaire change me? The basically. idea that money would affect how much I walk around is really throwing me. And I yeah. now I'm trying to figure out how much money would cause me to stop walking around. And maybe like maybe you just walk a little less. Like sometimes when when it's like half a mile or something, a time when you would normally walk, you would just be like no, I'm in a hurry. Time is money. That's how I got my millions of dollars. Time to hop on my hoverboard. Mm-hmm. Here's my segue. Let's go. Maybe I would. Maybe I would walk differently. Ooh, I think you would to walk. show off my fat pockets. <laughs> uh, so this week, like every week, uh, one of us has read the book and is going to talk to the other person about it and talk to you by extension, the listener. Um, Andrew, neither of us have read Hitchhiker's Guide before this I mean, podcast. Yeah, I have for this, but not be- previously. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, in middle school, read the fourth book in the series, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. I knew exactly what was going on, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, like, if, I I don't know. There there are five books, well, technically six books in this in this trilogy. It is billed as a trilogy. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> And um and yeah, they're all they're all a little absurdist and just kinda all over the place. So I'm sure that you could just like jump in wherever and not necessarily be missing a ton of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I think I knew it was part of a larger thing and was certainly like aware that Hitchhiker's Guide had a couple like in jokes that I may or may not have had access to in that reading. But Yeah, like the titles of all the books that Adams himself wrote are all lines from the first one. Oh, okay. I did yeah. not know that. Um, so Adams himself, uh, was born in 1952. He passed away, uh, at age 49 in, in 2001, um, which is a shame because only after he died did they finally get around to making a film of the series, which I know. Though he did, he did co-write the screenplay on that before he, he did died. have the credit. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, he went to a private school in England where he got his start, like, you know, your, your standard mid-century comic writers writing in like the student magazine making fun of stuff publishing comics etc and then he moved back to london to break into tv uh he was doing like a, a sketch review show where he got discovered by graham chapham of monty python and then he ended up with a few credits with monty python and i think appeared on a couple episodes of flying circus like writing credits mostly yes or what kind uh, of he, he has like he has a sketch like a co-writing credit for a sketch on Monty Python and a co-writing credit on a sketch that appeared on the Holy Grail soundtrack album. I don't, <laughs> there's a whole, like, I think Monty we will Python discover... fandom is, I don't, I yes. don't understand it. I'm pro- it's too late for me to get fully into it. Like, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I, I think that might be a thing we talk about moving forward is that for m- from, from an outsider's perspective, this era of comedy like it either hits you or at the right time or it, it it just passes you by like you get on that train when it's going by or you just never you just look at it and go that's a nice train glad everyone's right. enjoying being on that train yeah right um adams did some work on doctor who uh, he actually wrote three episodes that had tom baker in them which is pretty cool 
Um, Explain to me why that's cool. Tom Baker is like the beloved doctor before they did the big like reboot, the like the modern doc when the Doctor series kind of died in the nineties, like Tom Baker was the one that everybody loved before that. Okay. I was just like, what James Bond is he analogous to? <laughs> um he is probably I don't know. I don't know that, that he is your Connery, but because he's not the first, but he is he was the most popular for a very long time. And then, like David Tennant was popular, and uh, you know, and now we have sure. a we have a new doctor. So who knows who's going to be the most popular doctor? Okay. Um, Adams was an ardent atheist. He was an environmental activist. Uh, he once participated in a charity climb of Mount Kilimanjaro while wearing a rhino suit. You know, like you do. <laughs> uh, he claimed to have been the first person to buy a Mac in Europe. He was like really into tech, and you know, I don't know why. I don't think he could have possibly been, but maybe he was. I wanted, like, yeah, I would need to see a receipt, like a sales receipt. <laughs> he I'm the, sure he just was an early adopter. I don't think that necessarily <laughs> makes him the first one I, to buy one. Yeah, I think the the story, like Stephen Fry also says that he may have been the first. Like, the story's gone back and forth between it being either one of them, so who knows. Um, He did uh have i i want to share his family only because so he did have a relationship with a woman named jane belson who uh he married and then they would move to the states when he was working on the screenplay his daughter's name is polly jane rocket adams which i think is pretty pretty good that's pretty good that's a pretty good name is a pretty good middle name (laughs) especially when you're like known for a books in space and stuff like that that's pretty mm-hmm. cool what a cool thing to do to your daughter <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's fair um <laughs> but the the other thing that we should just talk about is like where these books came from where we just read the first book you just read the first book um not yeah, like right. the whole omnibus edition which i think are, there are two different editions that collect all of the books but they started as radio plays. Like I did not. Right. Yeah. The original. The original was not even the book. It started as a BBC radio play in a 1978, yep. and then the first book came out in 79. So like all of these, and there was there were a couple stage adaptations that were happening, also in the late 70s, early 80s. So most of these versions of it were coming out around the same time and all like deal with the same basic characters and plot, such as it is. <laughs> yep. Um. But they're all kind of their own thing, it seems to, based on whatever medium they might. Yeah, be in. right. So, like the first, the first three books in the series. So, Hitchhiker's Guide, which is seventy nine, um, the Restaurant at the End of the Universe, which is from nineteen eighty, and Life, the Universe, and Everything, which is from nineteen eighty two, were adapted from, I think, the original run of the of the radio play. Okay, and then. Um, or at least they were adapted from something that ran on the radio first. Sure. <laughs> the timeline is a little muddle. Um, and then So Long and Thanks for All the Fish in 84 was the first thing that was a book first. And it, was, it wasn't adapted for to radio until like the mid-2000s, like after oh, it died. Okay. Um, and then the last book that he wrote in the series is uh, called Mostly Harmless, it was in 92. And then weirdly, like, so it often happens with these, with, these authors that they'll have notes or they'll have part of a book mm-hmm. that someone will come in and finish and pub- publish posthumously. But this guy, um, Owen Colfer, 
with um with Jane Belson's blessing just wrote a sixth book to this sure. in the series published in 2009 called and another thing okay um it's like i i maybe extreme fans have like stronger opinions on it it seems to me just like my read in my reading about it that it's probably mostly forgettable skippable inoffensive like mm. the the kindest reviews say it is a very good impersonation and the unkind reviews say that it is merely an impersonation that does not like bring anything to the table. So. Okay. Fine. But yeah, I thought that I just found that a little strange that well, there that... had been that the series had continued after his death, but just this one time and with no, like he had, he had indicated at some point that uh, mostly harmless ended things on kind of a down note and that he wanted to go back to it at some mm, point. Okay. But other than that, like broad intent to revisit which was nine years old when he died. Oh gosh! Like, yeah, sure. There, there was nothing to adapt. Like, there is nothing that this book came from. Yeah, and the announcement came at like what the thirtieth anniversary of the series. But yeah, it's still kind of. All right, that's fair. Yeah, just like just strange something something you don't see a lot with with an established author like Adams was. Sure. Um, and or something that we have not seen a lot in the show, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm making a lot of generalizations and then walking them back. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the show, though, isn't it? It's just we're we're up against another fandom, Craig. We're running right up against another fandom, and yes. I just want them, just want them all to be nice to me. That's true, and I think part of the the like before we take our break and then come back to the book, like I think part of the size of this fandom comes out of when it hit in that like 70s, 80s range that. The myriad technology that it was disseminated on, like you could get it on the radio, you could get on a record, you could get on cassette tape. In 1984, they made a very successful text adventure video game. Like there was was, a TV series, stage plays, the movie in 2005. If there was a way that you wanted to get the Hitchhiker's Guide, you could. Um, And as a radio play, it was also not like didn't. I think it was it was successful. Uh, kind of a cult hit at first and then it was passed around and people were excited about it i thought it was cool it was the first bbc comedy series produced in stereo like there were a lot of influences of adams listening to like pink floyd and the beatles and like wanting to make a cool sounding recorded thing Mm -hmm. um but they still had to mix a lot of the effects live so you're it's still like i would be fascinated to watch if there was tape of them making it and hope maybe there is out there that would be a really cool thing to watch because radio mm-hmm. plays are fascinating to me um that's yeah I, I think we'll we'll discover what is hitting andrew here in the year 2017 and what maybe hit would have hit andrew in the year like 1997 or something differently <laughs> as we dive into sure. the book uh so let's take a quick break and then we will open our guides to the galaxy Andrew, what helping bring us the show <laughs> this week uh, is one of our wonderful Patreon supporters, Brendan Walsh, uh, who has written a book called The Raven Gang. It is Ooh, the f- they sound spooky. It is the first in his series that he's working on called Noble Animals. 
Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You just search for The Raven Gang. He does know the Gang of Ravens is called a... Is that a murder? I think it's a murder. I don't think it's about ravens, actually. Let me read the blurb and you tell me if you think it's about ravens. Oh, it's an actually unkindness of ravens. Ooh. I am thinking of a murder of crows. <laughs> unkindness is worse. Um <laughs> Here's the blur about the Raven Gang. Either they're living their own adolescent adventurous fantasy or witnessing the dawn of a supernatural invasion. Whatever it is, college student Patrick Buchanan and his friends unwittingly fall to the core of a rogue geneticist's plan to reshape the world. Once they're framed for an esteemed philanthropist's murder, they must work together to uncover the man's endgame while digging into their own unpleasant past. But what's the point of adventure if you don't make friends, whether human or not? Spooky. Spooky. Uh, so Brendan is he, he's a self-described philosopher and recreational madman. He has had short stories published uh, in Aphelion and Page and Spine magazines. He is 33,000 words into the sequel to The Raven Gang called The Serpent League. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if you dig uh, Man, sci-fi mystery... Called? Uh, that is themed around noble animals. You might want to. You might want to check it out. Uh, a group of snakes is called a den, nest, pit, bed, or knot of snakes. Ooh, a knot of snakes, which really just sounds like a rat king, but with snakes. <laughs> oh God, I hate rat kings or rats <laughs> king, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, go check out the Raven Gang, uh, Noble Animals Book One on Amazon. Do it now. It's there for you. Greg, I also want to tell you about something else that you already know about because it's the thing that we are doing. This oh. is our next to last call for our merch store, which is back up once again for the holiday season. That's overduepodcast.com slash store. We got mugs, we got totes, we got stickers, we got bookmarks, and all of them have been discounted, so you don't need to spend as much money to buy them. Yep, that's it. You, you go. Any, that's it. Uh, well, yeah. you don't have to get it for the holidays. I think we're going to keep the store open to the end of the year. And then if you just want like a treat for yourself in January, that's cool too. Um, you find all the stuff at overduepodcast.com slash store. All right, Andrew. All right, Greg, we're back. I'm going to the galaxy. Mm-hmm. What do I need? You're going to the galaxy. <laughs> is there you probably like... you need this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is a very large reference guide for anybody who's traveling through the galaxy. Okay, now this book is not a reference. The book you read is not a reference guide. The book you read is a story. The book I read is a story, and the and the title of the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, refers to a much more extensive in novel book called okay. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Cool, cool. Um. I guess we'll try and go through the story, I guess. Or like, it's kind yeah. of all over the place. Okay. If um, we take a detour, we take a detour. That's fine. There's this guy named Arthur Dent, and he is a human who lives on Earth. And as the book sort of opens, um, some people are trying to use eminent domain to <laughs> take his house and bulldoze it so they can build an overpass. Oh, no. <laughs> And he claims that he was not informed, and he's very upset about it. And he and his friend, a uh, Ford Prefect, go to a bar to have some drinks. Sounds like a car it. that I don't want. It does sound like a car <laughs> that you don't want because it is a, the name of a car, 
because Ford Prefect is an alien and he named himself after what he thought was the dominant form of life on the planet, <laughs> which okay. is a bad car. That's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so characters and can be jokes in this book. Is characters what can be and often are jokes and okay. like entire races of of things can be jokes also oh, like they cool. like much like star trek sure like a race can just an entire race of things can just be defined by a quality Do that you, is then used as shorthand yeah that's one of the the like in uplifting science fiction like something like arrival right which is very an uplifting movie um uh-huh. when like we encounter another sentient form of of life like the the uplifting version of that story is that like mankind unites and puts aside its differences right and becomes like one species in the way that like children's books with animals like all the mice are on one team and all the cats are on another team and whatnot (laughs) um that seemed that i wonder if that would happen if we encountered aliens I think not. if we I it would depend on how hostile the aliens were probably sure sure and like how yeah because if it's like humanity is all about us versus them right so yes. right now all we got is like humans who look slightly different from other humans yeah to get mad at which sure. is great and cool and it's a great cool thing <sighs> but if yeah if there was some kind of external threat I think we would probably probably like 80 percent like band together against this new other that's more other than us and yeah. like 20 percent one of the groups would contact the aliens and try a curry favor to blow up other humans it just depends on a lot of stuff depends on how pessimistic you want to be okay so yeah. so arthur learns that his best friend's an alien well he doesn't even really like learn it arthur's kind of impervious to <laughs> to realizations a lot of the time like this is this is some of the humor of the book is a lot of the humor from a lot of the comedy and like monty python is something absurd is happening but the characters in the book are not going to spend a lot of time talking about how like weird it is you the reader are gonna know that it's weird but in the book they're just gonna be like okay cool Let's continue on to the next absurd thing. That that's a good diagnosis of how absurdist comedy works. I hadn't yeah. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but like the I'm thinking to one of the few Monty Python bits that I can call into my head regularly, which is the the guy who gets his limbs cut off in uh, Holy Grail, the mm-hmm. the Black Knight or whatever, and he just mm-hmm. the flesh wound guy. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that he can still talk and carry on a conversation and want to fight is the absurd part Mm -hmm. but he doesn't see it as absurd yeah right everybody just kind of accepts it and there is some like uh if you do are you familiar with the frank grimes episode of the simpsons where that new guy comes to the nuclear plant and he's just a normal guy and like homer's just acting like he always does and he runs around being like why does nobody notice or comment on how (laughs) stupid this guy is there is some comedy to be wrung out of a like a straight man type character not like a straight man (laughs) not Not, yes not from a sexuality standpoint but yeah right like a like a a uh, voice in the wilderness, whatever kind of character <laughs> sure. who's thrown into this absurd situation. Like there is some comedy in that, but most of the comedy I think in this and in a lot of 
a lot of, I think a lot of like British humor from this era, a lot of absurdist humor is just everyone's going to accept the absurd thing and move on. Great. Okay. Um, so Ford Prefect and Arthur are in this bar and Ford Prefect informs Arthur that none of this that's happening matters because the Earth's going to get vaporized like in a few minutes. Okay. And that happens. Oh, God. oh no. Like it's just destroyed? Yeah, it's just totally vaporized. Oh, completely, boy. Completely destroyed. Um, Arthur and Ford Prefect managed to escape. They managed to stow away on this Vogon ship. And uh, the Vogons are very ugly and horrible race, and they're terrible. And we find that the Earth has been, ironically enough, removed to make room for an interstellar freeway. Okay. <laughs> sure. That makes sense. Okay. Uh-huh. Some justice um, there. Sure. Yeah. And then we and we also find out in like a, an aside that the technology that made freeways obsolete was invented like 15 minutes later or something. It's all very it's all very dry and yes. <laughs> British. OK. <laughs> so uh, how do we even get to the part where we need or meet this guide book that this titular book? Well, so Ford Prefect has one, and then we also find that he's been on Earth for, he's kind of gotten stranded on Earth for 15 years, but the reason he's out in the first place exploring around is because he is helping put together the second edition version mm, of the okay. guide. So he is a writer for the for the guide. Oh, neat. Okay. Um, uh, so Arthur and Ford Prefect get discovered and thrown off this ship, like shot out into an airlock. We were informed that the, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy tells us that you can hold your breath in the vacuum of space for about 30 seconds. Mm. And so they're saved at 29 seconds by the ship that's been stolen by the president of the galaxy, Zaphod Beeblebrox. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How are you doing right now? It's saying the word Zaphod. You don't. What's going on with you? I've not said any of these words out loud before yet. <laughs> okay. So there's that. So I'm just trying to. I'm just kind of playing it by your pronunciation wise. Sure. It's mostly that there is there is not like a straight line through this book. Like it just kind of meanders from thing to thing, and there are sides that matter, and sides that don't, and sides that sprout off their own little chapters, and sides that that are brought back up later and asides that inform us that something that is about to happen doesn't actually matter. Oh, <laughs> good. Okay. Like there's one there's one like sequence where it says, you know, nobody's gonna things look kind of bad, but nobody's gonna die. Somebody's gonna get a bruise on their arm, but it doesn't even really matter. Like everything's gonna be fine. And then the thing happens with all the suspense having been sucked out of the sequence by the the previous description of of what was going to happen so hmm okay like what do you want to what do you want to know we can keep doing like plot stuff but i don't even know that it's the most sure sure interesting part of the thing what are some of the other characters that we meet because it sounds like it's a a story or at least certainly as a as a drama or rather an audio drama, like a comedy kind of radio thing that would hinge on meeting some interesting characters who have like a funny story or a funny bit. And then we move on to the next one. Like a lot of the characters are really weirdly named like one off 
things that just like appear in a scene and then move on. Um, okay. The only other main character is named uh, Trillian, and it also is a human. Okay, a human woman who who escaped with a couple of mice. What's the and deal with so the mice? We'll get we'll get to it later. Okay, <laughs> sure. Tr- Trillian and Arthur are the two humans who t- have survived the destruction of the Earth. And are they both taking it in stride? You said Arthur yeah. like is unfazed by life. It seems he, like he some when he when he ponders the destruction of the Earth, some of it is just too big to have any effect on it. Okay, on him. Like he tries to think, oh, like New York is gone. Or like America is gone and it's just too big for him to comprehend. But then he thinks there's no such thing in the world as a McDonald's hamburger anymore. And like that gets him. Okay. Because it's a, like a, I guess a finite <laughs> thing that he can wrap his head around. Sure. I'm getting some like Futurama waves, which obviously came out after this. So it probably owes some debt to it as well. Um, insofar as it's like absurdist sci-fi, I guess. Well, and insofar as you have a like normal average person thrust into a world that has erased his essentially, or is like a weird other version of his, and everyone else like knows what's up, and he. Does. I guess I, I I guess the distinction I would draw is that is that Futurama is character driven and sure this no, book, no yeah, this that's book fine. is this book is not like none of these characters are especially strongly sketched out I don't think it doesn't seem like it that's a priority of what it's doing though no 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 um so they are all in this they're all in this ship that Zaphod Beeblebrox has stolen for reasons that even he doesn't quite understand and mm-hmm. they're looking. For this uh, legendary planet known as Magrathia, which way back in the day when the galactic economy was really hopping, made like bespoke custom planets for people who <laughs> wanted a nice planet that was sure. made to their specifications. Yeah, okay. That seems uh, like so a the, thing that you could do. Sure, yeah. I mean, late capitalism, am I right? <laughs> I could use a bespoke planet to go to now. That's why <laughs> I would keep walking if I had if I was a millionaire, but I have my own planet to walk on. Right. I would need my own planet to walk on. I would need yeah. to make sure I wasn't gonna walk by any any people who are gonna ask me weird questions about <laughs> how a the money I had were. affected my walking <laughs> habits. <laughs> so they're going to this McGrathia planet. They go and they're going to McGrathia. They find it. Um, it looks pretty much dead. Okay. As because as we find out, the planet sort of like everybody on the planet sort of shut down when the economy got bad, and they tied the computer to like a stock ticker, and so the planet will like spring back to life once the economy is good enough to support. Oh boy, a planet <laughs> that makes other planets. Sure. Uh, but one guy, one guy wakes up because he's he's hard at work on something. A guy named Slardy Bartfast, mm, that's which a good all name. is one, all is one word. That's great. Okay. Um, and we learn, and Arthur learns through Slardy Bartfast that there was this once upon a time there was a supercomputer named Deep Thought who was asked what the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything was. After 75 million years, Deep Thought spit out the number 42, and everybody was like, what does that mean? And Deep Thought's like, listen, I don't know. you got to figure out what the question is, and then the answer will make sense. 
And then they ask him if he can help with the question. And he's like, no, I'm not a good enough computer, but I am going to build a computer that can do it. And that computer is Earth. Oh, but that computer has gone now. It is gone now. So we find out that humans are the third most intelligent species on Earth. (laughs) Um, After dolphins are number two and number one is mice who have been performing experiments on us under the guise of letting us perform experiments on them. No. <laughs> because Arthur's like, no, we we run experiments on them to like learn more about how like how we work. And Slarty Bartfuss is like, yeah, right? Oh get it? Boom. <laughs> My head is exploding. Mm-hmm. All right. So the 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 oh, there seems to be a lot of comic inversion going on. Like, what if this yeah, thing a lot of comic inversion. that we claim to have control over is actually in control of us? What if this thing that we claim to do to other people is actually being done to us by right. space? Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, Slarty Bartfist is working on a second Earth, a new Earth, that okay. can start crunching away at the at what the question is again. And he, <laughs> Slarty Bartfist talks a lot about the the fun parts of, of designing planets. And he has, he in fact is responsible for the design of Norway, which uh, won him an award because of its, its fjords. <laughs> okay. He likes doing all the little squiggly shoreline bits. He's very, he likes fjords a lot. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's I feel like book. I'm having a conversation with someone's British uncle who I find <laughs> very entertaining but don't know what to say to. You know, like, sure. There are like two drinks in and they're just kind of riffing. And anything I say gets turned into something weirder mm-hmm. that I don't really know what to do with. Is that the mm-hmm. experience of reading it? Kind of. Sure. I guess. Okay. It feels, I mean, it takes a little more time to unfold, and so it feels a little more organic. And then also you have, like, Hitchhiker's Guide entries and other weird little anecdotes. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. How do those function, both, like, just formatting-wise in the book, maybe, or just, like, structurally? Often they are their own chapter, but they are usually, like, broken out into their own italic section. Okay. So, um... It's ta- this is at the beginning of the book. They're talking about what is in Ford Prefect's bag. Sure, sure. Um, he has some ballpoints, a notepad, and a largish bath towel from Marks and Spencer. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has a few things to say on the subject of towels. A towel, it says, is about the most massively useful thing an interstellar hitchhiker can have. Partly, it has great practical value. You can wrap it around you for warmth as you bound across the cold moons of Jaglan Beta. You can lie on it. On the brilliant marble-sanded beaches of Centraginus V, inhaling the heady sea vapors, you can sleep under it beneath the stars which shine so redly on the desert world of Cacrafoon. Cacrafoon. Okay. Use it to sail a mini raft down the slow, heavy river moth. Wet it for use in hand-to-hand combat. Wrap it round your head to ward off noxious fumes or avoid the gaze of the ravenous bug bladder beast of Trawl. A mind-bogglingly stupid animal, it assumes that if you can't see it, it can't see you. Daft as a brush, but very, very ravenous. You can wave your towel in emergencies as a distress signal and, of course, dry yourself off with it if it still seems to be clean enough. More importantly, a towel has immense psychological value. Uh, For some reason, if a strag, strag, 
colon non-hitchhiker discovers that a hitchhiker has his towel with him, he will automatically assume that he is also in possession of a toothbrush, washcloth, soap, tin of biscuits, flask, compass, map, ball of string, gnat spray, wet weather gear, spacesuit, etc., etc. Furthermore, the strag will then happily lend the hitchhiker any of these or a dozen other items that the hitchhiker might accidentally have, quote-unquote, lost. What the strag will think is that any man who can hitch the length and breadth of the galaxy, rough it, slum it, struggle against terrible odds, win through and still know where his towel is, is clearly a man to be reckoned with. Uh, so, so, wait, is space British also, or is the hitchhiker's guide, like, <laughs> speaking British? Space is also a little British. I mean, actually, there is a there is a strange organism called, organism called, uh, whoops, called a uh, babelfish that you okay. stick down your ear canal that functions as a universal translator. So, oh, okay. Like, that that's a thing. Sense. So, but, uh, yeah, so obviously, like, towel merchandise is a big thing among among the hitchhiker fan base. Yeah, apparently. So the book, he, the origin story of the guide itself is that Douglas Adams was hitchhiking in Europe in when he was, like, 19, got drunk, and he was using a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, looked up at the stars while drunk, and said, there should be one for the galaxy. That's mm-hmm. li- that's the story he told. Um, and he claims that it happened while he was near this town called Innsbruck, uh, which started celebrating Towel Day on May 25th of every year. Um, and he also said that the towel thing comes from this time he was traveling in Greece and never knowing where his towel was. Mm-hmm. So obviously someone who did know where their towel was would be a pretty good traveler. Yeah, and that is apparently hitchhiking slang, according to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hmm. Okay. No, so do they, does it talk to them? They just like, they read it? They it, read it. It's ba- it's in what is essentially described as a Kindle. Okay, sure. Because it's so immense that that's just the easiest way to carry it around. Yeah. What In my head, it's always sort of like an Alexa, but I, I imagine that's, or, you know, any sort of like speaking robot assistant, but I imagine that's mostly because of it being a radio drama first and so they had to like come up with this distinct character yeah right like like the they'll have a they'll have a person who actually plays the the hitchhiker's guy but no in in the book it's more like it, it is much more like a kindle thing like it's searchable it's easy to find the stuff that you need but it is just like a screen with tons and tons of stuff in it sure and it's usually like they're looking at it or the or the reader is given access to it at a point that would be funny or relevant Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Like this towel thing is not super important to the story at all, but it does set a certain tone and it does give you a little bit of, I guess, information about Ford Prefect and the way he rolls. Yeah. Like and he it, knows where his towel is, I guess. And it just becomes like an irreverent choice that is given import in a, you know, story that is like mocking things that we traditionally give import mm-hmm. like so then if you're reading it and you're like oh this is funny to me i can hang my hat on this and like it becomes part of the reference to like oh you are also a fan of this now we are like we are nerds together we get the towel thing from right like side. if like all these lines from the book like describing like there's a there's a whole run where the only the entry for earth in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is harmless 
period. Hmm. That's it. <laughs> oh, okay. And Arthur is like, well, you've been on Earth for 15 years. Surely you have expanded this entry a little bit. And Ford Prefect's like, yeah, my editor cut it down, but it is still a lot longer than the original one. And the entry has been revised to mostly harmless. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, yep. Bada bing. Um, bada bing, bada boom. Yep. So um, and then he just and he just has a way of putting things that is that is the opposite of how you would normally construct a metaphor kind of or back something. your way into a thought. Uh, the, yeah. the ships hung in the sky in much the same way that bricks don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur let out a low groan. He was horrified to discover that the kick through hyperspace hadn't killed him. Okay. Like here's here's like half of a negative to surprise you at the end of a sentence. Here okay. is a sentence that you where you think you know what it's gonna do, and then it does something else. Sure, sure. Um, do we meet? Uh, so yeah, it's like it's full of little weird turns of phrase and anecdotes that yeah, definitely, especially in like a pre-internet or early internet era, could easily been used as flags. Like here, here is somebody who gets it and and will get you by compare by uh, extension. Yeah. So like I I in my prep for the show I I just started googling like why Hitchhiker's Guide and you know <laughs> just because I don't personally have a sense for it. And one of the I found an article by um a guy named Will Smith who used to work with some of the guys. Oh really? The, not that Will Smith. What about um, the uh, the other one? The other one, the guy who works who worked with the MythBusters guys for a while and works on the internet. Oh, okay, it is that. That's the other one. Yeah, I know him. Um, and he, I know that Will Smith. He wrote an essay about it um, on Towel Day, actually, and it closed with um, him saying, "More importantly, for a kid who wouldn't see The Breakfast Club or Better Off Dead for another five years, the existence of the guide let me know that there were other people out there like me. Arthur Dent let me know that being surrounded by people who didn't look like me or care about the same things is a vital part of the human condition." Which I get, I think, gets at like two parts. Like there is something fun about being stranger in a strange land. And and how nests like useful that is of an experience to consider, and then there is also as you just alluded to this kind of like if you read it at the right age at the right time it can be a, a form of connective tissue f- between you and like other folks and uh, certainly when this hit as you said it was like early internet or pre internet so then it like feeds into the online communities that were cropping up as the internet was getting started right and and kind of becomes like a shorthand language for like and again, that's not... like the the benign good yes, kind sure. of fandom yes and True. i wish that fandom stopped there i wish fandom was always just like a way for people to flag to people that they get it and then they can be pals and bond over their love of this thing but pretty much Instantly, the two people who have met and bonded over this thing will then turn to a third person and say, hey, you're an idiot because you don't like this thing that we also like. That's unfortunately that often happens because you brought up you brought up Rick and Morty in our pre-show conversation. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I like I think that show is pretty good. I think it's really clever and also tells really good sci-fi stories sometimes somehow mm-hmm. and surely you know there are bits of this that you know evoke that but i am so hesitant to ever talk about that show because i don't want anybody 
who talks about it on the internet to ever approach to like me and us. talk to me about anything. Well, and I, I wonder if for some folks, for shows like that, and maybe I'll try and generalize if I can, um, but there are certain pieces of media that just hit you at an age where like that becomes how you digest the world. Um, yeah. And if that that can flip a switch and cross over into like, and now I shall destroy everything that is not this <laughs> um, for your own, sometimes out of your own safety or where you per- perceive to be your own safety. Um, but yeah, that's, I wonder if the Rick and Morty thing too, because some of the issues there and some of the issues with other online fandoms these days have to do with the perceived proximity to creators. Like, sure. Yeah. You know, I know Douglas Adams was, his work was recognized in kind of the like sci-fi con community. And he certainly seemed to have an online presence, um, but not in the way that, that creators have to now. No, 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 no. Um, And I wonder how that would have been different if this happened now. And certainly the things that it was lampooning would have been different if it had written now. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a thing that like is the, is what would for me be the hitchhiker's guide for like someone who maybe read it when they were like 12 or 13 and was like okay cool now i'm in yeah like Um, ender's game might be close for you it's close Um, but it's that's not quite the same like pop culture thing yeah i mean i think mystery science theater 3000 was a big one for Mm me Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you can no because like i remember like i watched a lot of like south park as a kid and i don't go back to that well anymore like not as like also like a lot of people watch south park that's not like no but like what about like homestar runner i wasn't even into that as much as you were oh man really there was like i was into it but there were a lot of those little little pockets of of like where something was widely distributed enough that it wasn't too hard to run into somebody who was into it but also it hadn't achieved the mass popularity of a South Park or whatever, and so you could still feel like it was yours in a way. I think like podcast networks may be like that now. Maybe like I yeah. S- I saw a Max Fun tote today in the wild, and I was excited because it's just that's that's content I like, and other mm-hmm. people like it too. Mm-hmm. Um, gotta love that content. Gotta love that. Co- I just said content. And ironically, I hate you it. did say content, Ew. <laughs> dumbo. <laughs> Uh, anything else about this book that that like happens in it that we need to talk about? You you t- hit that forty two thing, which is the like the big reference from this book that I think that I certainly was aware of without ever having read it. Um, the, like the answer to everything is forty two business. Yeah, right. Which is yeah, like that's that's pretty much that's pretty much the extent of the joke though is just yeah. that there's this big drawn out sequence where this computer is working for millions and millions of years and this whole race of people is like waiting for this computer to spit out like a computer that is so smart that it knows it is the second most powerful computer that will ever exist okay because the most powerful computer is the one that it will design itself and it spends all this time turning and turning and then it spits out something and it says and it's 42 the answer is 42 and the anticlimacticness of that moment, <laughs> I think, is it grabs a lot of people. Yeah, the, the quote from Adams is, the answer to this is very simple. It was a joke. It had to be a number, an ordinary, smallish number, and I chose that one. 
Binary representations, base 13, Tibetan monks are all complete nonsense. I sat on my desk, stared into the garden, and thought, 42 will do. I typed it out. End of story. Yeah. Also getting into another aspect of fandom that I don't love, which is reading stuff into things that were never intended to have anything read into them. So I found that quote from an article called 42, The Answer to Life, the Universe, and Everything on The Independent, where they listed 42 things that people have used to fuel their fascination with the number 42, (laughs) including... That on page 42 of Harry Potter, Harry discovers he's a wizard, which I imagine that would vary by uh, addition. Um, the Doctor Who episode entitled 42 lasts 42 minutes. Uh, the Titanic was traveling at 42 kilometers an hour. Elvis Presley died when he was 42. Cricket has 42 laws. Like, you're just making stuff up. At this, Some of just, like the for, for the after Hitchhiker's Guide stuff, it could be a coincidence. It could be a winking reference to the thing. For the before Hitchhiker's Guide stuff, you are just finding facts that fit this view of the world that you have subscribed to. 42,000 balls were used at Wimbledon last year. Like, what are you doing? That doesn't... No. No. So, and that's the... He he played us all, is what that is. He, yeah, he played us all. Um, The last thing that happens in the book is the mice that Trillian brought on board the ship. Or like, we don't actually want to wait for this new earth to be built and then to start crunching on this thing. Like you, Arthur, were on the planet Earth like five or ten minutes before it would have spit out the the question we've been looking for. Can we just like take your brain and cut it up and try and get <laughs> oh, and try gosh. and like recover it? Like using him as a time machine backup, basically. Oh no. <laughs> and hoping to restore their data. Um, but the four of them get away and scoot off. There's a whole other character I haven't even talked about who's a Marvin, the paranoid android who a lot of people like, I guess. He's very dour and down. Like he's he's really depressing and he's so depressing that he like talks to a police car and after talking to him for a while, it commits suicide. The car does? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Which also saves our heroes because the police were like trying to get them at the time. Good job, Marvin. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then they, they get away and then they jet off to the restaurant at the end of the universe. It does. It kind of feels like it ends in the middle, which makes sense as a book that was the first part of a three-part adaptation of an existing radio thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the book. That's the end of the plot stuff. Okay. Oh, and Marvin, that's the re- that's what the song, the Radiohead song is, I guess, referencing. Is it? Paranoid Android. Sure. Because British people referencing Hitchhiker's Guide seems, that seems on point. Yeah, sure. That's a thing that you might reference. All right. So, like, you know what this book is now. Yeah, you know what this book is. It's it's one of those episodes where it's hard to have a discussion that's not just and here's another funny thing that happened or like another quote. But yeah, um, sure. But some of the some of the recounting it to you has been funnier than it was to actually read. Like so, we talked mm. about we talked about Monty Python. We talked about the age at which stuff hits you. Like I fully recognize that this book was clever. I enjoyed the cleverness, but also I've spent like 32 years being immersed in pop culture that had already processed and, That's a good point. and stolen tricks from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So yeah. 
I think if I if I had read it again, and I, and I said this when we read Dune like way 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 back, like mm. four full human years ago. <laughs> um, I don't mean this as a dig. I'm just saying if I had read it when I was 15 or 16, it would like I would probably be a huge fan of this book, and it would mean a lot to me, and it would be like a big touchstone thing. Yeah, in but, the way because I read Trek it when I when you. I read it. Yeah, yeah right. Well, because when I read it when I was thirty two, it's like, oh, this is clever, but you know, I'm probably not gonna like think about it a lot after I'm done uh, recording this content about it. Well, yeah, and you want to you think like timeline wise, if it was end of seventies, a lot of the folks who are of an age that they are like in a position to make a bunch of new media over the last fifteen years, um, were probably of an age that they were like oh discovering this when it was still relatively new mm-hmm. um it hadn't been referenced into like oblivion yet um and so you're worse probably at the tail end of the like first round of like folks who uh for this was like a, a formative experience when like right, as yeah. it was fresh mm-hmm. um as I, I remarked to Laura this afternoon of like we had Star Wars on the TV and that's probably for me is what it is of just like a random moment in a trailer is a, like a incredibly powerful experience for me that is not rational. It is just because of the certain like symbols and idioms from a franchise that is important to me. Sure. Like click in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Hitchhiker's Guide and a lot of this this era of comedy it seems like that random joke or that goofy name or whatever it might be can kind of lodge in your in your brain and in your heart as it were Mm -hmm. don't let things lodge in your heart go see a doctor (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what that's what i got cool well it was was fun to read it was fast to read Mm. the two the two best parts of any two the two good things (laughs) If you have a favorite uh, Hitchhiker's Guide reference that we did not get to cite on air, please hit or us. Or if there's particular stuff in the second or third oh, or sure. fourth or fifth book that is worth like continuing on and, and reading. Yes, hit us up with those uh, on uh, our email, overduepod at gmail.com, or using social media, twitter.com slash overduepod, or facebook.com slash overduepod. A bunch of folks reached out in the last week, specifically in reference to me like actually making people cry by talking about where the word <laughs> referent grows. Um, uh, Elisa, Jacqueline, Carlos, Jessica, Nathan, Eric, Allison, Ashley, Joanne, Rebecca, R.A., Lucas, Aaron, Morgan, Kieran, Becky, Jennifer, Emily, Sam, Graham, Grace, Mandy, Christy, Melissa, Alex, and Sarah, among many more. Thanks, y'all, for hitting us up throughout the week so that we stay engaged with the show while you're engaged with the show. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go over to podcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have a link to a bunch of stuff. iTunes, Google Play, RSS, all the ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. It helps us out. And we like to read them. Um, We've got a link to our Patreon page, which um, I guess, should we talk about that a little bit? They They are instituting, I think this week, a change in how they collect fees that is shifting that the fee burden from us, the creators who you're already giving money to, to you, the people who are already giving us money. <laughs> so we've posted about that uh, on both of our social media feeds and on the Patreon 
page, uh, which Andrew said, patreon.com slash pod. If you want to read more about our stance on that, a lot of creators like us are not super happy about it. And we're looking into what we can do. Uh, and in the meantime, we're very thankful for your support. And we understand if this like changes any of your calculus. Yeah, right. Like the, the Patreon might as well have sent all the people on its service a letter that said, have you ever done research into competitors for Patreon? <laughs> and, well, that remains to be seen. But in the meantime, know that uh, we are thankful for what support we have, and we we're we thankful for what support. Complicated moving forward. Yeah, right. Exactly. And if and if this change hits you, like there are no hard feelings. If you can't, if you can't make, if you can't see your way towards supporting us anymore, that like that's on Patreon. That's fine. Yeah. Um. Next week, what's happening? We're talking about the book thief. By Marcus Zuzak. That's going to be me reading that. If you haven't refreshed your feeds from over the weekend, our Fahrenheit 451 episode went up. And then after that, we have our novelization of The Santa Claus. Ooh, and I we got ours over the weekend, and there are eight full-color pages <laughs> of still images from the film. So it's just be, be Yeah, that's going to be pretty wild and fun. It's going to be a good Christmas treat for everybody. I'm pumped for it. Yeah, me too. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And until next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.